This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-7. through 7. Listen to the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of God for the people of God. Won't you please bow your heads and pray with me for just a moment. Lord, we prepare ourselves now for the meditation upon your word, that as we consider its truth and power and wisdom in our life, we might be inspired to go out and live that truth in the power you provide so we might experience the blessings of wisdom. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Are you, do you remember Dear Abby, the syndicated columnist that was in many newspapers years ago? I think she's actually still in some newspapers. Her real name was Pauline Phillips, and uh, she went by the pen name Abigail Van Buren, which is where we get Dear Abby. Pauline passed away in 2013, and her daughter Jean has taken up the column, which uh, still appears in some uh, newspapers, not as much as used to. But, you know, this was uh, one of those helpful advice columns. People would write in with personal problems or questions, and Dear Abby would dispense wisdom and advice. But back on Mother's Day 2002, Abigail printed a letter that wasn't asking for advice. It was just a woman giving tribute to her mother, whom she described as the meanest mother in the world. I want to read the letter to you. It goes like this. Dear Abby, when I was a child, my mother was the meanest mother in the world. When other kids could eat all the candy they wanted, my mother always restricted and limited my candy consumption. And to make matters worse, mom always insisted that I eat all my vegetables at dinner. When I tried to avoid the vegetables by complaining that I was too full, mom would make me save them for later. And that was just the beginning. While other friends were allowed to go out on dates when they were 14 or 15, my mom wouldn't allow me to go out on a date with a boy until I was 16 years old. And then it was only a few times a year for a function at school with chaperones. My sister and I had the unreasonable curfew of 11 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays. We would grumble and complain, but mom wouldn't budge. She was the meanest mother in the world. She used to make us do chores around the house. She would always check our homework each night to make sure we had done a good job and completed the assignments. On Saturdays, we couldn't sleep in till noon like other kids. We had to get up and help out around the house. And on Sundays, We had to go to Sunday school and church. It always seemed like mom was trying to think up new ways to torture us. She was the meanest mother in the world. But now I'm a mother myself. 
And I've come to realize that my mother wasn't really so mean after all. She was wise. She was preparing me for life. And so now I stand a little taller and I blush with pride when my children tell me that I'm mean. Because I know someday they will come to thank me. In a day and age when many adults want to be pals with their children instead of parents, I want my children to discover that true love looks like discipline. Because now I know that I don't have the meanest mother in the world. I have the best mom in the world. Thanks, mom. I think there's some truth and wisdom in that, don't you? And on this Mother's Day, we want to take the opportunity to say thank you to all the moms who are here. You have a very difficult job balancing tenderness and strength, kindness with accountability, protecting your children but also challenging them. It's the most important job to do. And so we thank you for doing your best. It's not always appreciated. Tony Campolo was a well-known lecturer and author and speaker, goes around the country. Uh, when his career began to take off, his wife, Peggy, decided to sacrifice her career interests in order to stay home and be a full-time mom to their three children, three boys. Occasionally, she would have an opportunity to accompany Tony on one of his speaking engagements and when she would go, there'd always be like a social time beforehand where people would mingle and talk. And people would come up to Peggy knowing that she was Tony's wife. And, and they'd ask her, so, so Peggy, what do you do? We know your husband and all that he does, but what do you do? And she would say, oh, I, I'm a stay-at-home mom with three boys. And she said almost always they'd get sort of a condescending tone. And they'd say, oh, that's nice. And they'd move on to talk to somebody else. So she finally came up with a solution. One evening, Tony was scheduled to get an award at a big banquet not far from their home, so they got a babysitter and Peggy went along. And during the mingle time beforehand, somebody walked up to her and asked the question, So, Peggy, what, what do you do? Peggy took a breath and she said, I'm the director of a longitudinal project to socialize three male homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian ethic. What do you do? <laughs> you know... Whether you choose to be a stay-at-home parent or whether you have a full-time career, those are choices that are deeply personal to everybody. But let's all agree today that being a parent and being a mom is hard work. And so we set aside the second Sunday in May to celebrate Mother's Day and the third Sunday in June to celebrate Father's Day. And like many of you, later today I'll call my mom on the phone and I'll wish her a happy Mother's Day. My mom lives in West Virginia. She's 82 years old, still going strong, living on her own and doing well. She's been a widow for 25 years. My father passed away in 1992, ironically enough, on Mother's Day. I sent my mom flowers this week, and I'll follow up with a phone call. And I'll thank her today for being my mom. I won't use those terms, but in a way, I'll thank her for being the meanest mother in the world. Because like the woman who wrote into Dear Abby, my mom was pretty strict when I was growing up. She made me do things I didn't want to do, and she prevented me from doing some of the things I wanted to do. My mom had a bunch of rules. And uh, my sister and I hated those rules growing up. But my mom insisted we follow those rules, and 
Now that I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate those rules. Many of them stand out in my mind, but I just want to share two with you this morning. Two rules that my mother had that reflect, I believe, great wisdom. I I don't share these rules with you claiming that everybody should abide by them, but I can tell you this. Uh, these rules blessed me greatly, and my wife Lynn and I raised our children with these rules as well. And when you've got the difficult job of directing the longitudinal project to socialize homo sapiens, you need all the help you can get. These rules were very helpful. The first rule was the dinner time rule. In our home, when I was growing up, family dinner time was sacred. It was the same time every night, and you had to be there. We would sit down together as a family for the evening meal. The TV had to be off. The phone, if it rang, you couldn't answer it. I had to show up at the dinner table on time with clean hands, a clean shirt, hair combed. We would hold hands and say grace together. And then we'd enjoy a family meal. It was a ritual, really. And it wasn't time to argue at the dinner table. We didn't argue. We we couldn't discuss contentious issues at the dinner table. It was not time for mom and dad to grill my sister and me on whether we had finished our homework or done all our chores. It was not a time for them to lecture us on how we need to do a better job of keeping our rooms clean. No, no. It was just time to talk about our lives and about our day. My mom would often prompt the conversation with questions like, what did you learn in school today? Or tell me something good that happened today. Or tell me something you're really thankful for. She was trying to guide the way we thought and reflected on our experiences. And dinner time was an opportunity to do that. I wasn't allowed to wolf down my supper and then rush off to do other things. No, I had to take my time when I ate. I had to show good manners And when I finished eating, if others were still eating at the table, I had to sit there and wait until they finished. Then my sister and I had to clean off the table and do the dishes. She washed, I dried. We didn't have a dishwasher in those days. I guess my sister and I were the dishwasher. You know, I can't remember anything significant or profound that happened at the family dinner table. We were just together as a family, having conversation. Being together. And maybe that in and of itself is significant and profound. Because family dinner time provided me with a sense of connection to my family. A sense of identity as to who I was. A sense of appreciation for the blessings that I enjoyed. You know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about the importance of meals. Meals were often a time in the Bible for people to connect with one another. It was not just about filling the belly with food. It was about filling the heart and developing and maintaining social connections. Learning how to have conversations. Giving thanks to God who provides for all things. It's not by accident that Jesus on the night before He was to die for the sins of the world had a meal with his closest friends, his 12 disciples. And at that meal took the common elements of bread and wine and transformed them into the sacred reminders of his body broken and his bloodshed for our sins. The church, even to this day, celebrates the sacrament of Holy Communion, remembering a meal 
and the conversation that took place at that meal. Not only that, when you read through the book of Acts, you find when the early church met together to worship on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, after they worshiped, they would go have a meal together as a way of establishing connections and fellowship. In the early church, fellowship wasn't just shaking hands and saying, how are you in the narthex? Fellowship was sitting down and having a meal together, having conversation, learning about one another, investing in each other's life. I know families today are so busy. Lots going on. Long work hours, a difficult commute down I-95, and then rushing off to soccer practice or gymnastics or dance or karate. Hey, it's good to have lots of things to do in life. we got lots of options today, but If most of your evenings are spent munching on a hamburger and fries as you're in your car going through the drive-thru at McDonald's to get to the next activity, if if your dinner hour is more like a, a few moments where you scarf something down in front of the TV and then rush off to do something else, if your life is characterized by a full schedule, but an empty relationship with your kids and your spouse, then maybe the family dinner time rule is worth making time for. My mom insisted on it. And I hated it. (laughs) But now I'm thankful for it. It wasn't just the family dinner time rule, though. There was also the church rule. Hey, I'm a pastor. You knew I was going to say that, right? The church rule. In my house, Sunday morning was for Sunday school and church, and it was non-negotiable. You know those conversations that some people have in their home? Go like this, it's like on Saturday night or Sunday morning, they're saying, eh, what do you think? You feel like going to church today? What do you think? We never had that conversation in my house. Never. It was, it was assumed. It was expected. It's Sunday morning. Get up, get dressed, we're going. We're followers of Jesus. We've made a commitment to our Savior who gave His life for us. We made a commitment to the church to be God's people. We don't take that commitment lightly. We, we do what we say we're going to do even when it's inconvenient, even when we don't feel like it. It's part of honoring the Sabbath to keep it holy. I'll tell you, in my early teenage years, I, I hated that rule. But... My mom believed with the same conviction that caused her to tell me to get up on Monday morning and go to school, I should get up on Sunday morning and go to church and Sunday school. And so I did. And when I protested, I'd get the same lecture many of you got when you were kids growing up. The lecture that goes like this, as long as you're living under our roof, you'll live by our rules. My father had not grown up in church. He wasn't much of a church goer himself but when he got married because he loved and respected my mother so much and wanted to honor her he knew how important church was and he would go every sunday with her and i I remember once sunday morning as a teenager i was upstairs in my bed i was i was making my stand i was not going to church i don't care and my dad came up already dressed in a shirt and tie closed the door behind him, grabbed me by the scruff of my pajamas, and he says, you get your behind. He didn't say behind. He said, you get your behind out of bed, you get dressed. If I got to go, you got to (laughs) go. 
In his later years, though, my father came to know and love the Lord Jesus. And uh, before he died, he became a, a real pillar in the church and served faithfully. But you know, I know today there's lots of opinions about whether you should force your kids to go to church, especially as they get older and become teenagers. Hey, there are no easy answers here. I get that. It's a complex issue. I've had conversations with people who say, I don't go to church today as an adult because my parents forced me to go when I was a kid and I swore when I got old enough and could call the, my own shots, I was never going to go to church again and I'm sticking to that. And well, okay, I get that. Maybe it has something to do with the kind of church you were forced to go to. Or maybe it had something to do with the way your parents did or did not live out the faith in the home during the week. I don't know. Like I say, it's a complex issue. But here's what I do know. I know a lot of people who are still active and involved in church today and have a real relationship with the living Lord Jesus because when they were kids, they were forced to go by their parents. And they'll tell you, while there may have been some Sundays they didn't want to go, going faithfully, regularly planted something in their heart. You know, the truth is, I don't always... I didn't always like to go on Sunday, and I'm a preacher now, and I still don't always like to go on Sunday. Sometimes I think, man, the sermon stinks today. I wish I didn't have to go and preach it. No, just kidding. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, I tell you, the discipline of gathering with the body of believers on the Lord's Day, honoring the Sabbath to keep it holy, the regular pattern of worshiping once every seven days with my brothers and sisters, that what they used to call the discipline of assembly, professing my faith publicly by gathering for worship, it reminded me that I am part of something bigger than just myself. And that I'm committed to something more than just my own preferences and conveniences and agenda and schedule. And I can't tell you the number of times I didn't want to go to church, but I went anyway. And if I chose to have a good attitude once I got there, by the time I left when it was over, I was so glad I had come. It's been very helpful for me. The moral and spiritual lessons learned, the, the memory of committed adults who taught Sunday school and mentored me in high school, the friends I made, the retreats and mission trips I went on, it all helped to shape and mold my character and identity. And look, truth is, I've still got a long way to go to become the person God wants me to be. But I can tell you this, I've come a long way. And the progress I have made is because of the church rule and the experiences and the environments provided to me by the church. You know, this past Tuesday, we did a funeral here for Shirley Emery. Some of you may know Shirley. Elderly woman who came faithfully to this church Every Sunday, many, many years. Well, a few months ago, she had a stroke. Had to go live with her daughter, and she couldn't come to church anymore. In fact, she couldn't do much of anything anymore. She was basically bedridden. She couldn't speak clearly. She couldn't recognize or remember people. She, she couldn't engage like she used to engage with folks in relationships. The stroke and a subsequent fall after the stroke had taken just about all that Shirley enjoyed in life. And yet, during those final weeks, it was her friends from this church who would go and visit her and pray with her. 
It was the youth of this church who would go to her house and do yard work, even though she couldn't live there anymore. It was the prayers of this church that sustained her. And it was volunteers from this church on Tuesday who helped to serve as pallbearers when she couldn't, they couldn't find enough people to be pallbearers for. And it was people in this church who brought food and, and all kinds of uh, refreshments for the family to have a fellowship time after the funeral. Just a, a few days before Shirley died, a friend had gone to visit her. And Shirley was bedridden, not very responsive, couldn't talk. Her friend just held her hand and didn't know exactly what to do or say, so she just began singing a song, Jesus loves me, this I know. And when she began to sing, Shirley opened her eyes, started moving her lips, and then with a voice clear as crystal, began to sing along, Jesus loves me, this I know. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. In her final moments, when life had taken everything from her, and she couldn't talk, and she couldn't recognize people, and she couldn't get out of bed, and she couldn't remember things, in those final moments, she could still sing Jesus Loves Me because Shirley had a reservoir of courageous faith deep within her, a reservoir of faith that only comes to people who live by the church rule. Today's scripture, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my dear son. Timothy wasn't literally Paul's son, but Paul had invested a lot of time and effort in his young protege. And he's writing to encourage Timothy, who's living in a time when it's really getting hard to be a Christian and you're putting your life on the line to be a, a preacher and a pastor. And Timothy was feeling the heat. And Paul's just encouraging him. And one of the ways Paul encouraged him was to remind Timothy of the faith planted in him from the time he was a little boy. A faith planted in him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And Paul says, fan into flame that faith, knowing from where you got it. And Timothy did. Something tells me Timothy grew up in a home or they live by the church rule. In Matthew's Gospel, we're told that mothers would bring their children to Jesus so that He might bless them. In Jesus' day, mothers seem to understand part of their responsibility, part of their calling is to bring their children to Jesus. That's a high and holy calling for any and every parent. And the church rule is here to help with that. Look, I realize the problems and challenges of modern day families and schedules is complex and difficult. And I don't mean to suggest my mom was right about everything. In fact, when I was a kid, I thought she was wrong about everything. But here's what I know. Today, I'm a grown man. And I have, as the Bible says, put away childish things. And I see things so differently now. I'm thankful for my mother's rules. Because now I see the wisdom upon which they are founded. And I'm so glad I had one of the meanest mothers in the world. And so today I'll thank her for the family dinner rule and the church rule. And her willingness to be tender, but also tough. Trying to raise an unruly homo sapien like me. To all the moms who are here today, thank you. We know you have a difficult job. And if you have children at home right now... 
Our prayers are with you. But set wise rules and enforce them well. And don't worry about it if your kids call you mean. Because someday, they'll put away childish things. And they'll see clearly the wisdom you offered them. And some of them might even thank you.